VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. I should say good afternoon on the East Coast and good morning on the West Coast. You know, this program, Positive Living, is all about positive choices. It's about turning your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and really making your dreams come true. I was one of the pioneers at Voice America, started about seven years ago when the Internet was just beginning, and now the Internet is prolific. And it's wonderful to have the opportunity to be able to give you and present to you so many incredible guests that can make a difference in your lives, not just on my show, but on so many shows on Voice America. So it's really wonderful to be here. You can log on to my site, raskinresources.com or patriciaraskin.com, both the same, and email me, patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Tell me your positive stories. I'd love to hear them. I have a newsletter and a blog, and I have three programs. Today we have a very interesting show for you. We're talking about reincarnation, but we're talking about it actually from a scientific point of view. And you'd be thinking, gee, is that really possible? Well, it really is possible. My guest is Walter Simcue. He's a board-certified physician working at Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco. He has served as the assistant chief of the Department of Kaiser and is a former medical director for, for Unical 76, also known as Union, Union Oil Company of California. And he has a master's in public health. And he um, is working. He has two books. His book that we're talking about is Return of the Revolutionaries, The Case for Reincarnation and Soul Groups, Reunited and Born Again, which is really interesting. And he's talking about, actually, that we can prove reincarnation through biochemical or biophysical means, such as DNA analysis. Welcome, Walter. Thank you very much. Well, that just seems like a very tall order, doesn't it? It just seems amazing that we could actually prove this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's us, very feasible. Us, start us out here on this journey, Walter. Okay. Um, in the last 10 years, and, and it's important to keep in mind, this is all new research that has just emerged in the last 10 years, and most people simply don't know about it. But what has happened is there have been multiple independently researched reincarnation cases that now show that that you look the same from lifetime to lifetime, have the same personality traits, talents come through. Uh, we've even done a linguistic analysis showing that in one case, writing structure, writing style is the same from one, one incarnation uh, to another. Uh, also, what's really critical is that is these cases show that you can change religion, nationality, ethnic affiliation from lifetime to lifetime. So, to me, it's going to be a tremendous catalyst to bring greater peace in the world uh, when people realize they can be Jewish in one lifetime and Christian in another, Palestinian in one, and, and Israeli in another. Then people will stop fighting about these things. So... When you say that, we know that, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you claim or you say that you've reincarnated from John Adams. Uh, that's the um, part of the Return of the Revolutionaries book. Mm-hmm. All right. And how do you know that? Okay. How do you know that? Um, well, and uh, I'll tell you my story, but I, I usually don't even talk about my case much. I simply share it because that's how I got into this work. The the really important thing is that there are multiple cases, including from the University of Virginia, that, that show this evidence of reincarnation. But the way I got into it is uh, back in 1984, I was doing my medical training in Chicago, um, and a friend of mine said, you have to go see this medium working out of a local bookstore. And at the time, I didn't believe in psychics or mediums. I thought they were charlatans. Um, But it was winter in Chicago, and there wasn't much else to do but study. And this was a friend of mine, so I said, okay, I'll I'll try. And I thought, if nothing else, it would be entertaining. Mm. And this was a trance medium um, who works very much like Kevin Ryerson. And I'll be talking about Kevin later in the program. But what a trance medium does is they go into a meditative state. Basically, their consciousness leaves the physical body, mm-hmm. allowing another spirit being to take over the body so that this spirit being can communicate with human beings. 
And and when this occurs, the person's voice change, the person, the facial gestures change. It's it's almost like a different person sitting in front of you. And I was totally new to this, so it was kind of shocking, but but it was entertaining. And uh, the first thing the the spirit guides told me was they they talked about issues I had with my father that were personal, and I thought how could they possibly know that specifically. And then they went on and told me about two past lifetimes. They said I was alive in the American Revolution, that I had signed my name on parchment to help secure ideals for humanity. And then the reading went on, and I asked all the usual things. Am I going to find a you know, marriage partner and all that? And then at the end, I thought, well, I wonder who I was in the Revolution. And so I asked them, they asked, you know, do you have any questions? And I said, can you tell me who I was in the American Revolution? They told me, if you look back to John Adams, you'll see yourself in physical attributes and personality traits. I thought they meant if I went back and studied John Adams, I'd find myself in that circle. And, and I asked that, and they said, no, John Adams was a statesman or representative. I said, you mean I was John Adams? And they said, this is truth. And at the time, you know, I thought it was ridiculous. You know, I'd heard that people are told by psychics that you're famous, somebody famous in the past because that's good for the ego, that's what people want to hear, mm-hmm. and that's how they get repeat customers, you know. And I, I totally disregarded it. I thought I wasted my money, and life went on. And, and I went... I got a job with Unical 76. Their slogan happens to be the, the spirit of 1776. And and part 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 and and in these ca- in many cases um, there are many synchronistic things that happen, which is basically the way that synchronicities are a way that the spiritual world can communicate to you. Um, it it may be uh, that not everybody's clairvoyant and can get spiritual messages from spirits, but but. Um, one way that they can work is setting up these synchronicities that are meaningful to you. And so um, I, I took a job with Unical 76, and it, it wasn't until 12 years later that um, I was on business in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and I had done nothing about this Adams thing for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And, and out of nowhere, it was in broad daylight during the workday where this booming voice, it was, it was like somebody had a megaphone in my head and said, study the lifetime of Adams. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I couldn't deny it happened. Nothing like that ever happened to me before or since. But it, it, it you know, it shook me. And, and I, that night I went to the Borders bookstore and got books on Adams and the Revolution and started to read. And, and what, it, what resonated with you about that, Walter? Well, uh, first I noticed his personality was exactly the same as mine in terms of strength. Really? Hmm? really? Yeah, I mean, in terms of strengths and weaknesses, and and uh, good and bad, and and the picture of him at the Paris Peace Conference after the Revolutionary War looks exactly like me, you know. And okay. and then I found that, that was in one of your books. I that, that that's on that's in both Return of the Revolutionaries and Born Again. And for for people who want to look on the website, the website is johnadams.net. And you can follow along and see all these pictures if you like. All right. Now, I, I want to bring this down to today. Mm-hmm. Okay? If someone listens to this and they say, well, so what? How does that help me? I mean, how, how does that help one? How has it helped you in your life, and how would it help someone to find out they were reincarnated with someone else, and maybe a celebrity, maybe a politician? Well, to me, uh, the most important thing is the social change that it will bring, which I, I spoke of earlier, how it shows you can bring uh, change, religion, race, nationality. To me, the reason I'm passionate about it and why I go out in public and talk about it is because of all the cases that show that phenomenon and how it is going to change the world in the future. And, and in this way, you know, I'm a medical doctor. Adams was a lawyer. You'd say we had totally different, you know, lives but the the one thing that i can really relate to him is he his passion was to create a better society through a new form of government and and my passion truly is helping create a better society a better world through evidence of reincarnation Isn't that interesting now where does the dna come into this walter well, the the uh, the DNA part of it. Let, if I could maybe explain uh, or discuss a few cases that sure. kind of will lead up to this. The, the and and 
what I always point out, I don't care if you believe I was John Adams or not. You know, this is simply how I got into the work. But what, what it made me do is start researching reincarnation in general. And, and, and I found all these cases that demonstrate similar, similar phenomenon of people looking the same, all independently researched, um, and, and many of them extremely compelling. The, the premier researcher for objective evidence of reincarnation has been Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia. Uh, Dr. Stevenson just died last year, but, but for 40 years he studied children who spontaneously remember past lives. And he chose to study only children because he thought there was the least chance of fabrication of memories. And in the typical Ian Stevenson case, a child, as soon as they can speak, tells their parents, you're, my, my name is not what you're calling me. My name is actually so-and-so, and you're not my parents, and this is not where I live, and my real parents are going to come get me soon and take me back to my village. And the child remembers their name. They remember their parents' name. They remember the name of their village, the, the names of their relatives. They give the biologic parents enough information that they can actually find the past life family. They then reunite the child with the past life family. The child is then able to identify all these family members by name that they've never seen or met in this lifetime. They'll know all sorts of family secrets that, that nobody outside the family knew. And typically, the past life family accepts the child as the reincarnation of their deceased. All right, so here's my question, one. Walter. Yeah. Did you go back and, and try to trace to see if, in fact, biologically, you were connected to John Adams? I, I absolutely am not. Uh, my parents came from Ukraine. Uh, you know, they, they came over right after World War II. John Adams comes from English stock. But the, the, if I could continue with this um, Stevenson case, the, uh, he, Stevenson, or Stevenson's work, Stevenson compiled 2,500 cases like this. And there's another psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, Jim Tucker, who is carrying on his work and has written his own book about it uh, called Life Before Life. And Stevenson has published volumes through the University of Virginia Press. And, and if you read his cases, there's me, there's no way you can't believe in reincarnation. But a big breakthrough came in, in uh, 1998 when Tom Schroeder from the Washington Post was writing a book about Stevenson. And they traveled to Lebanon to research new cases, interview small children who remembered past lives. And they also revisited two cases that Stevenson first studied 25 years ago. So he studied Daniel Jurdy and Suzanne Ghanem when they were three or four years old, 25 years before that time, before 1998. In 1998, now those two people are full-grown adults, and it turns out they look exactly like they did in the prior incarnations. All right, we're going to have to take a break on okay. that note. My guest is Walter Simkew. He's a board-certified occupational medicine physician, and we're talking today about evidence for reincarnation through biochemical and biophysical means. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. 
There you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. We have a really interesting show for you today. My guest is Walter Simcue, who's an MD, MPH, and we are talking about the evidence of reincarnation and past lives. Very interesting. Welcome back, Walter. Thank you. Um, tell us more now, because I, I, I might have misinterpreted something here. What I thought that people might have picked up past lives through, uh, through DNA, in other words, through the biological means, that in fact they were with the same family in the family line. You're saying not so. You're saying they get a memory of something that, that probably isn't related to their lineage in this life. Correct. And when they go back into that memory and they look it up, they remember things that wouldn't have been remembered if you hadn't been there. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. And, and I want to get that straight. And, and what we're observing in many other cases, I mean, I've just described uh, one Stevenson case really involving Suzanne uh, Ghanem, where where she remembered a past lifetime, was reunited with her past life family when she was only four years old, and her husband from the prior lifetime came to believe that this little girl was actually the reincarnation of his deceased wife, because he could show her pictures of them at social events, uh, and she could identify all their friends in the picture by name. Well, again, Stevenson first studied Ghanem 25, 30 years ago, revisited her in 1998, and found that she looked exactly the same as she did before. Mm. Stevenson revisited another case involving a, a, a gentleman named Daniel Jurdy, and he studied Jan- Daniel 25, 30 years ago when he was three or four years old, had full memories of the lifetime, was reunited with his past life family, identified all the family members, was accepted as the reincarnation of the deceased uh, son. And now, in 1998, 25 years later, Daniel is a full-grown adult, and he looks exactly like he did in the prior lifetime. What What it appears happens is that the soul projects a hologram or an energy template into the developing fetus and that the the fetus shapes itself around this energy template much like um, bone is shaped by bone stimulators by orthopedic surgeons. Is that where the DNA part comes in? Right. So the the next step is, well, if if somehow the soul programs, somehow shapes the physical body so that we look the same and in in addition downloads information into uh, the child, which explains child prodigies, and we have a number of cases like that. The next step is, does the soul do this by also programming DNA? And and there's a possibility that if we do DNA sequencing of people from one incarnation to another, that we could find unique sequencing, uh, perhaps in the junk DNA or some other perhaps in the personality part of the DNA, that's going to be unique for the soul. So explain again, if you would, in lay terms, how the DNA part would work, how we could actually see that, or can we? Well, the way now DNA um, sequencing is being done for the human genome. It's been in the news, but it won't be economical to do it on a... uh, individual level for another five years or so, and then it's predicted that you can sequence the DNA for about 
$1,000. So at that point, we would be able to actually compare DNA from one lifetime to another and see if there is unique sequencing that, that corresponds to the facial features and personality traits and linguistic style. But that's going forward, not back. That's going forward. That's going forward. Very interesting. How do you, why are you studying, why is this so fascinating to you? How do you think this helps, how do you think it helps us to live a better life? Well, the, for, I mean, when, for the individual, it really changes your perspective on life. I mean, you realize that uh, life really is a, a learning lesson, and, and it makes you take learning more seriously. Uh, secondly, it because of the observation that you can change race, religion, and so forth, it makes you take a much more uh, t- non... Um, you don't take sides, you know, you don't, your sense of identity is different. Whereas before, I grew up Catholic, Ukrainian, I was raised to identify with my ethnic background. Well, and I did that, and, and, and I think most of us do, and Russians are proud of being Russians, and Americans mm-hmm. Americans, and Jewish people Jewish, so, but that also separates us. And it, it is the ultimate basis of war that the enemy is somehow different than, than us yes. because of their yeah. culture. Yeah. So, and what you're saying is this says we're, we're all connected. Yeah, That's we're it. universal souls. You go from being uh, a person who identifies with cultural markers such as religion, race, ethnicity, to realizing you're a universal soul that can incarnate in any of these groups. And that's huge. And and what I also like to point out is there's a huge difference between knowing reincarnation is real and the belief in it. You know, people point out, well, the Hindus believe in reincarnation, but they have lots of problems. Well, they, they teach a very distorted view of reincarnation. You know, you don't hear Hindus talking about, you're, well, we're going to reincarnate as Muslims. You know, they, you don't, they reincarnate in their own system, in their own caste system. Uh, so... Once people start realizing it's real and and it's factual and they see evidence of it and they they see that you can change religion and race, the whole world is going to change. You know. It, so what? What? Let me let me see if I can interpret what you're saying. What you're saying is that if we see that we could have been a different race, we could have been a different color, we could have been a different everything in their past life, it helps us be more tolerant. Exactly. And understanding. Exactly. Of what we have in this life with other, with different cultures and people. Yeah. And, and, and also understanding that, that it's a process. I think it makes you take your life more seriously and, and try to understand more and, and improve yourself. Um, you know, I think it, it makes you more compassionate. It's going to make you more responsible for the environment, knowing that you're going to keep coming back from lifetime to lifetime. Okay. All right. We have a couple minutes before break. Is there one outstanding story that sticks in your mind about reincarnation, beside your own, of course, which I'm Well, there, there are many of them. Um, perhaps we can start and continue after the break. One of the most important cases is the reincarnation of Anne Frank in the person of Barbara Carlin. And, and Barbara's case represents a, a classic Ian Stevenson-type case where she had memories ever since childhood of being Anne Frank. She was born in 1954, and and when she was three years old, she told her parents, "My name's not Barbara; it's Anna Frank, and and you're not my parents, and you're, this is not where I live." And her parents didn't even know who Anne Frank was because the diary had not yet been published in Sweden. She was born into a Christian family in Sweden, and and. She, throughout her childhood, she talked about this past lifetime, and, and her parents thought were, she was making it all up. Uh, she remembered the attic, the arrest, the concentration camp. Um, things changed when she was about 10. By then, the diary of uh, Anne Frank had been published. Her parents knew who Anne Frank was, and they went to Amsterdam uh, for the first time, and, and the father wanted to go now visit the Anne Frank museum, the house, and he picked up the phone off the hook to get a cab to take him there, and Barbara says, uh, we don't need a cab, it's right near here, and they said, well, how could you know, 
uh, you've never been here. And she said, well, I know where I am. I'll show you. And she led them by the hand on a 10-minute walk through the winding streets of Amsterdam directly to the Anne Frank house. Um, and, and then inside the Anne Frank house, she looked at, at the wall where, one of the walls where Anne Frank had lived and uh, in, in one of the rooms where Anne Frank had lived, and she said to her mom, look, Mommy, the pictures of the movie stars are still on the wall. And, and the mother looked, and there was nothing there. And, and Barbara realized on a second look that there was nothing there. She got confused, started to cry. And the mother said, well, let's ask the tour guide. And the tour guide says, yes, indeed, the pictures of movie stars that Anne Frank had clipped and pasted on the wall were there, but we just took them down to be mountain behind glass because people were touching them. And, and how old was she then? She was 10 years old. That's and it was the first time her parents realized that she was telling the truth all this time yeah. about a past lifetime. Wow. All right. Well, woof. on that note, Walter, we're going to take a break. Okay. Pretty compelling evidence. My guest today is Walter Simkew. He's an MDP, MPH, board-certified occupational medicine physician, practices in San Francisco, and he's been very, very attracted to reincarnation and past lives. And, in fact, he's been involved in avenues to available proving that reincarnation can be proven through biochemical and biophysical means such as DNA analysis. And uh, his book, um, let's talk a little bit about your book. Your book is? Uh, well, one is called Return of the Revolutionaries, which focuses on a cohort or a group of people reincarnated from the time of the American Revolution. And the other one is called Born Again, which has more international cases, including the Anne Frank case. Okay. All right. I'm going to take a break. Um, my, please write to me, Patricia, at RaskinResources.com. You're listening to Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit, Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everybody. We are back. We're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. We have such an interesting show for you today. Talk about positive living from all different perspectives, from this life, from future lives, from past lives, from reincarnation. Very interesting show. We are talking about 
reincarnation and how there are avenues that we'll discuss that can prove reincarnation through biochemical and biophysical means, such as DNA analysis, and also people's recollections um, that really show us that these things are real. My guest today is Walter Simcue, and Walter Simcue is an MD, MPH. He's a practicing physician and uh, has, has really studied this and in his own life uh, is reincarnated from John Adams. Welcome back, Walter. Thank you. So, go ahead. You were uh, yeah, we, we were talking about the Barbara Carlin Anne Frank case, and I had mentioned that she had memories ever since childhood of being Anne Frank, even though her parents didn't know who that was because the diary had not been published yet. She knew how to get to the Anne Frank with, house without directions in Amsterdam, and, and she knew where photographs were supposed to be on the wall that actually had been taken down for preservation. And um, another aspect of the, feat of the case is that she was a child prodigy writer, just like uh, Anne Frank. Um, she wrote for herself, and, and uh, Barbara did, and somebody, a family member, saw what she was writing and said, this is very good, you know, can we submit this to a publisher? And she said, sure, I was just going to throw it away anyway. And, and they submitted it to a publisher who said, this is good. And, and her first book of prose was published when she was 12 years old, and it became the best-selling a prose poetry book in Swedish history. Mm. And it dealt with the same sorts of themes that Anne Frank wrote about, about good and evil and the nature of man. And she had five other books published in the next few years as, as a teenager and became a celebrity as a child because of her writing ability. And I, I'd like to point out that Anne Frank did not become the symbol of the Holocaust or the most famous victim of the Holocaust because she's the only one who died. She became famous because she wrote this diary that was readable, that that was universal, that dealt with uh, themes on human nature, and then everybody read it. And and in both cases, the books were published passively. Barbara uh, Anne Frank wrote her diary, never knowing it would be published, and Barbara Carlin also was just writing for herself and never even intended for her work to be published. Well, I heard about her case in 2000. She she wrote a book about her story in, in um, 1996. It's called And the Wolves Howled. And I heard about her, and she happened to be in Northern California where I live. And and I was very skeptical at first, and I'm always skeptical when anybody thinks there's somebody famous, because usually they're not. But I met with her, and and I realized that, oh, my God, I think she's genuine. And then I had been working on this whole um, part of the reincarnation research that shows that people look the same. And and Barbara Carlin, in her book, never once says that she looks like Anne Frank, because for her, what, what makes her story real to her is her memories. Well, I was the first one to match the pictures, and the pictures are, are in the Born Again book, and it's also on my website, johnadams.net, and, and Barbara Carlin has the same face as Anne Frank. Let me, let me ask, Walter, yeah. let's say that Barbara Carlin, that's her name, did not, uh, didn't discover this. Mm-hmm. Okay, let, let's just back up. So she never discovered this. She didn't know about past lives. Do you think, based on everything you've said, that this would have haunted her, that this would have made her life more difficult because she wouldn't have had an answer? Well, it, it's hard to say. I mean, actually, it's kind of interesting. You were sharing with me your own story. What, mm. what does happen from traumatic past lives is that people bring residue from it in terms of phobias and fears and anxieties. And if you wouldn't mind, would you? Yeah, well, my my story, I don't often share on the air, but my story is interesting because I I am Jewish born and was born about four years after the, the Holocaust ended. So this ties into Anne Frank. And as a little girl, I remember being very, very afraid of seeing anybody maimed or if anyone had a cerebral palsy or disfigurement of any kind, I would almost have nightmares. I also was somewhat claustrophobic, very sensitive, and always had a very tremendous fear of the Holocaust, more than most. I mean, even though I'm Jewish, I mean, my family wasn't involved. I didn't have any any ancestors or aunts and uncles or grandparents. So I, I was removed from it, but very, very frightened of it. It always really scared me. And then... um and then this passion and mission that I've had for my whole life, since I've been 30, uh, to 
really portray positive living, to show people how they can make the world a better place, to try to work with cooperation and love, and to try to turn things positive from the negative. I mean, that's been, that's been my calling, and that's what I've been doing for 25 years on the air. Well, having said that, about, I'd say it was 15 years ago now, maybe even more, maybe 20, I was doing some body work with a healer, and they did the certain work which brought out past life. And up comes this past life, which I will never forget. And it was quick, but it was so real. I was a little girl about five years old, and I was on a train in the Holocaust. I was on a train with all of these other people, and we were all squished together because the trains were packed. And I was smothered. And I remember screaming. I I remember watching, rising up and watching my soul and watching all these people screaming below me. And that was it. I remember that so vividly. And I thought, this is amazing. Then I discovered that there was a rabbi who wrote a book about maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, And this book was on, I think it was called something like Up from the Ashes or something about the ashes. And it was about people who reincarnated quickly. In other words, you would die and then you'd come back in. And in everything I'm doing, and, it, and it, it really explains to me these little idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies, however, however you say that, but it, uh, anything that's idiosyncratic, it really explains it to me because um, these were deep fears. And um, so you asked me to share that because I shared it with you during the break. But I will say on a personal level, it has helped me. Because it gives me an understanding of why, particularly in the work that I've chosen to do as a pioneer when no one was doing it. Yeah, and and I think, you know, I think Barbara Carlin, first of all, she shares the same kinds of phobias. Um, She was deathly afraid of anybody in uniform. Uh, she was afraid of showers. She would only take baths. Um, she had an aversion to beans, and the, the Frank family lived on beans for two years. And and I would say that you know, in in her soul, her, her soul actually probably wanted her to remember to create a better um, social system, a better world, and use that tragic death for for a good She's purpose. Done. She's writing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I've done for my program. Yeah. So really what you're saying is that there's a real there's a real reason to know that information. It well, I think it be, can be extremely helpful. Um, you know, I think there's also a reason why people don't remember. And, and sometimes you have to play out karma with individuals. For instance, in the Revolutionaries book, I... I identify my ex-wife as my son in the prior lifetime, mm. uh, the son that, that had a addiction problem and and they just didn't get along. And and John Ames lost his temper and, and so forth with this son. But um, this son reincarnated as a woman and and we fell in love and got married. And I think the purpose was to finally get to know each other as two human beings, to love one another. Um, you know, we weren't still exactly compatible, so eventually we separated, but we had the opportunity to really get to know each other and love one another. And I make the point that, well, if I had known that ahead of time, if we had both known that ahead of time, that... Um, that she was my son before and I was her father and we had a bad relationship and we had bad karma to work out, mm-hmm. when we first met, we would have run for the hills, you know, it's like we want no part of this. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes you can't know because you have to work out karma with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting question that I don't fully have an answer to why some people have spontaneous memories and, and some don't. But, but in part, I think the soul has, uh, some control over that. Uh, what's interesting, one of the first cases I discussed today, Suzanne Gonham, the Ian, Ian Stevenson mm-hmm. case, um, she, uh, well, it, it, she has a great story. Let me just share it briefly. Um, we have about three minutes. Three minutes, okay. She, she was uh, in her 30s and had to have surgery uh, for, for a heart valve problem, 
and they couldn't do it in Lebanon, so she went back to she went to Virginia to have it done where she had a a brother living there. And she tried to call her daughter Layla repeatedly prior to the surgery but couldn't get through. Uh told her brother if anything happens to me in surgery, um get, divide my jewelry among my daughters. The next day she had surgery, following day she died and was reborn as Suzanne Ghanem only 10 days later. So it shows how quickly people can reincarnate. And um, she later on, uh, well, when she was a little girl, she started to pull the phone off the hook and say, Layla, Layla, Layla. Uh, that was the name of the daughter from the prior lifetime. And the, the current family had no idea who Layla was, so they asked her, who's Layla? And, and she said, that was my daughter from before. And and they said, "What are you talking about?" And she asked, "Ask me, tell me, ask me later when my head is bigger, and I'll tell you." And indeed, that's what happened. In a year, she named twelve relatives. Well, as this story matured, it turned out that she was reunited with her husband from the prior lifetime, the policeman, who would show her pictures uh, of their their friends at family functions social functions, and little Suzanne could identify all their friends from the prior lifetime. Well, it turns out that the husband then shared that before Hannon went to Virginia for the surgery, she told him that she thought she wouldn't make it and she would reincarnate real quickly and have a lot to say about reincarnation. So it seems like the soul even had it planned. All right. My guest is Dr. Walter Simcue. He's an MD, MPH, and we're talking about reincarnation, we're talking about it from a little bit more of a scientific point of view and how we can use DNA and uh, to prove through biochemical and biophysical means uh, how we can promote social transformation through understanding reincarnation. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty's has just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. Remember, this program is about turning your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and making your dreams come true. I've been doing this work for 25 years. I started when people said, nobody wants to hear this, and now everybody does, because we're in troubled times, and even if we're not, we need more hope, because just as much positive as negative, and probably more, we just don't hear about it enough, and that's what this program does. And you can log on to PatriciaRaskin.com or RaskinResources.com. You can email me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com or Patricia at RaskinResources.com. And you can also read my newsletter and blog and share with me your positive living stories. I would love to hear them. Today we're talking about a very interesting and, and a little bit controversial subject, and that's reincarnation. You know, have we been here before? And we have a guest that says not only have we, but we really have, we have proof in a way that we have. My guest today is Walter Simcue, who's an MD, PhD, 
and he's a board-certified physician working at Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco. We're talking about avenues that are available to to prove reincarnation through biochemical or biophysical means such as DNA analysis, and also from people's stories. And Walter himself believes and knows that he was reincarnated from John Adams, and we had a whole talk about that before. Welcome back, Walter. Thank you. All right, two things I'd like to do in this segment. One, tell us about spiritual guidance, how reincarnation will help us. And two, I want to talk a little bit more for those for those more uh, left-brain, scientific-minded people about the DNA piece to this. Okay, so first, spiritual well, guidance. Yeah, um, so I, you know, I've been doing this work since 96, and I literally can talk for three hours about all the cases that have come out. And one thing that I've observed is, is there is spiritual guidance in helping people uncover their past lives. Uh, in other words, the spiritual world wants this information out. And a a really good example involves an Indianapolis police captain by the name of Robert Snow. He just retired recently, but he was in charge of homicide and organized crime. So, you know, a very down-to-earth individual. Um, And he was at a party with other police officers. There was a woman police officer who was interested in past life regressions and had done them and and he dismissed it and and kind of said well that's just you know you're fabricating things and she said she dared him to have a regression himself and he said oh sure I'll do it but never really intended to but she kept on hounding him and and he finally agreed to have a regression just to get uh, her off his back and he didn't anticipate anything would happen he didn't believe in this sort of thing uh, but he went to the regression therapist, and much to his surprise, he tapped into an extremely vivid past life memory, which he states, he wrote this in a book uh, subsequent to the regression, he wrote that it was more real than waking consciousness. And he saw himself painting a portrait of a hunchback woman. And he said he saw every brushstroke and every detail, and he remembered his emotions and his feelings and thoughts. And he remembered that he even thought to himself, why does this woman want a portrait? She's got this deformity. And he, re- he remembered 30 specific details about that lifetime, mm-hmm. that he had a studio with skylights on top and a bank of windows. He lived in a large city with large buildings. He lost a maternal figure to a stroke. Uh, after the regression, he was kind of shocked, you know, because he, he didn't understand what happened. He paid the regression therapist and ran out of there and tried to make sense of what happened. And he, he didn't believe in reincarnation, so he rationalized that, that he must have learned about this portrait of the hunchback woman uh, in the past, and it resurfaced during the hypnosis. And for a year, he tried to find this portrait of a hunchback woman and the painter who did that portrait, and he found nothing. And he's a professional detective. Found nothing. And then he gave up. And, and about that time, his wife said, um, hey, our anniversary's coming up. Let's go to New Orleans. We've never been there. And so they go there. On the last day of the trip, he's just wandering around the French Quarter, goes into this little art gallery, goes in the back, and there's the portrait of the hunchback woman exactly like he saw it in his regression. And, and it freaked him out. You know, he, in his book, uh, he, he writes that he thought he was hallucinating this, that, that he had had a stroke in, his, in a nursing home somewhere drooling on himself, that, that this can't be real. Uh, that this thing hap- these sorts of things happen in the movies, you know, not in real life. But then he realized that he was okay, this was real. And then he, he stepped back and he said, well, just because this is the portrait, and he, w- he was absolutely sure this is the portrait he saw of the hunchback woman in his regression. He said, well, maybe I just saw it somewhere before. It was in a museum or something. So he asked the salesperson, and the salesperson said, no, uh, Beckwith was not a really uh, great artist. Uh, this has been in private hands since 1915. It's never been on tour. You've never seen this before. And so that kind of crushed that theory, and, and Snow finally came to realize that maybe this was a painting he did in, in a past lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, now he's got the name. Um, what happens in regressions is you see images uh, you see scenes, but mm-hmm. you generally don't get names, dates, places yeah. where you can historically validate it. Well, now he's got the name. It's Carol Beckwith. It's on the painting. 
he finds out that though Beckwith wasn't the greatest painter, he was a good administrator and became the president of the New York Academy of Design. He found out that Beckwith's diary was at the Academy. He got a copy and validated all the memories that he had in the regression. Wow, wow. And, all and, right. Go, go ahead, finish, and then I have got one more question. Okay, before. and then and he wrote a book about this called "Looking for Carol Beckwith," where he says, "I have proved reincarnation." Mm. And and somebody in the audience said, uh, "Well, do you look like Beckwith?" And he said, "Well, there's a picture of him in the book, but I don't think I look anything like him." But I saw the picture, and he does. He just, you know, you have to look at it at the same angle and wow. and pose it right. And I ran up to him and said, "Let me take your pictures, Captain Snow. I'll show you. You look like Beckwith." And he he does. It's in my books. It's on the website. Um, and here's a case where somebody. Uh, found out who they were through regression, didn't even realize the consistency in facial features, but it's there. And in, we were talking about spiritual guidance. Yeah, it's, well, it's, I want to talk about that, but I really want you to, to mention the DNA piece for okay. people who are more, a little more scientific. I'll just take one second. The the way that Captain Snow got there was not coincidence. Uh, you know, his wife having the idea of going to New Orleans and him walking into that art gallery, my assertion is that was spiritual guidance that got him there, not coincidence. And, and just going back to the, the DNA, because we see in all these different independently researched cases, and the Snow case is another one, that people look the same from lifetime to lifetime, it appears that the soul programs the body in some way so that facial features look the same and, and personality traits remain the same. And the next step is, does the soul also program DNA with unique sequencing? And, and we so, can do that now from, the, from now to the future. Yes, and, and it's already, you know, the genome has been sequenced for individuals, but it it's, uh, costs a lot of money. It's kind of like where computers were 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, in, in another five years, it'll be right. econom- economically feasible to do this kind All of sequencing. All right, Walter, what's your message? What would you like to leave our listeners with in a minute or less today about well, incarnation, about these stories, about power of connection? Yeah, there, there's a vast amount of literature now that shows evidence of reincarnation. Uh, Stevens has volumes. Uh, I've summarized uh, many extremely compelling cases in my books, Return of the Revolutionaries and Born Again. And what these cases show is not only do we look the same, but we bring in talents, personality traits, and it shows that people can change religion, race, ethnicity, um, nationality from lifetime to lifetime. And to me, uh, the importance of it is that it's going to show that we're universal souls and we're going to stop fighting about these things that separate us, like what religion we're born into, nationality, ethnicity, and so forth. Thank you so much for being on the program, Walter. Fascinating. Thank Fascinating. You. Thank and if people want to get on the website, they go to? Uh, johnadams.net. johnadams.net. My guest has been Walter Simkew, MD. We've been talking about reincarnation. Log on to johnadams.net because he was reincarnated from John Adams. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Remember, folks, that you can certainly contact me, Patricia at RaskinResources.com, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Write me. Tell me your positive stories. I have three radio programs. You can listen online. I would love to hear from you. Remember, as I always say, at the end of each program, and I say this clearly, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, for Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com, I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a great Monday and a great week. Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.